Prophet Isaiah, chapter 42, uh, verses 1 to 9. So please turn to that in your Bibles or on your phones. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what the God, the Lord, says, the creator of heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another, or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord God, we just thank you for those wonderful words uh, from Isaiah. Uh, I just pray that as we, uh, as we look at them now together, that we will learn more about you and, uh, and that our lives will be changed as a result. Amen. Well, there's a... Um, there's a sign outside a, uh, a mobile phone shop in George Street. And I think if Isaiah had seen it, he'd have put it at the top of this chapter. Because it says, don't despair, we repair. Uh, and it's a great summary of this chapter. Don't despair, we repair. Isaiah 42 is a message of great hope. It's pointing forward 700 years from when it was written to Jesus. That's who the servant is in verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. By the time we get to the end of the Bible, it's quite clear. We're talking about Jesus. And God's talking to a people who are in deep trouble. They're, they're facing exile. They're a, a refugee nation. They've lost everything. And yet, God says, I'm sending you my servant. And even though we see the world in a, in a right old mess, or, or maybe our personal lives, own a right old mess. Well, actually, God's still saying the same thing. He's saying the answer to the mess is Jesus. Actually, um, to be more precise, of course, Isaiah says a bit more than that, doesn't he? He points to Jesus, but he actually says Jesus and this word justice. 
that keeps coming up. It comes up three times uh, in those first few verses, doesn't it? You see it in verse 1 and verse 3 and verse 4. He will not falter until he's established justice. He will bring justice to the nations. His faithfulness will bring forth justice. And that, to be honest, is is a bit of a weird thing to do, isn't it? If you're facing losing your home, losing your nation, losing your family, justice seems a bit of an odd thing to have on offer, doesn't it? It's probably the same now as we look around. We're worried about pandemics and health and getting our business back and all the rest of it. Why is justice the answer? And I think part of our problem is what we think justice is. We could do word association at this point, but those are the two things that come to my mind straight away. When we think justice, line of duty. <laughs> Episode two tonight. So exciting. Now, of course, you never really know what's going on in line of duty, do you? You've got never idea what justice is or what it isn't. You do with Batman, Justice League, Justice League America to the purest. You kind of know what justice is about there. The baddies get sorted out. We know where we are there. But just think a little bit about stuff in the news recently. We think about perhaps Sarah Everard's case. Or we think about what's been going on in Myanmar at the moment. And we know justice is bigger than just this sort of stuff, isn't it? Justice is something about uh, right relationships. It's, it's, it's about living in peace. It's about living in love with each other. Justice is bigger than perhaps what we think it is. And God says justice is even bigger than that. It's not just right relationships with each other, living in a society that's at peace with each other, but it's living in a society that's at peace with God, with people who love God. And uh, as we work through the Bible, we find that's a promise. That's a great promise for the future, a new heaven and a new earth and so on. But it's also something that God's servant, Jesus, brings now, that starts with Jesus coming into our lives now. That's when relationships start being made right. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. And, and if you've been coming to this church for a while, you'll know well, perhaps, how that is supposed to happen. Jesus lives out that perfect life of living God, living under God's law. He lives the life that doesn't deserve separation from God, doesn't deserve death. And yet, Jesus is the one who dies. That's what Easter's all about, isn't it? He takes the punishment that we should take for ourselves. And when we accept that, then that relationship is restored. Then justice is established. Then uh, we begin actually to move into the, what the Bible calls the kingdom of God, God's rule. I was uh, reading for Lent, or I'm reading for Lent, um, a book by um, Cardinal Vincent Nichols. And uh, he's done a number of reflections. I just wanted to read, this is a slightly longer quote, but I just thought he puts this same thing so well. He says this, Jesus goes beyond our own sense of justice. He says, we all know about an eye for an eye and making them pay. But in Jesus, an innocent person 
pays an exorbitant price so that we who are guilty may receive a priceless blessing. Far from exacting human justice, this this judge steps in to take the punishment himself so that we may walk free and forgiven. And to demonstrate that truth, Jesus bursts the tomb of death. It's a great passage, isn't it? It just sums up, I think, very neatly God's justice. And when we accept that offer, then we move. We receive eternal life. We've moved from eternal death to eternal life. I, um, I, I discovered some papers of my father uh, a few days ago, looking through it. Uh, and I discovered a diary entry from, it must be about 1929, 1930. And uh, he had got into so much trouble at school. Uh, he had so many detentions stacked up. They didn't know how he was going to get out of it. He didn't know how he was going to tell his, his, his parents. So what he did is he got hold of the detention register and he threw it away, hoping that the teachers would lose track of all his punishments. And now what actually happened was that the teachers discovered it was missing and threatened detention for the whole school until it was found. Uh, a lot of the big boys knew exactly who, who he'd done, what he'd done. Uh, so um, he, in the end, to my shame, I think, he ended up bribing a very small boy to say he'd found the detention register and to hand it in. Uh, to make it even worse, he admits in his diary, 80 years later or whatever, uh, that he never actually paid the sixpence bribe over to the small boy. There are ways of escaping justice, and that isn't one of them. By the way, comments about apples not falling far from trees are not needed. Um, we don't have that get out, do we? When we face God, the only way that detention register is going to be empty is if we can say we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the deal that's on offer. That's why Isaiah wrote this down for us. And I said it's a deal because it is a deal. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you'll see um, verse 6. Uh, God calls Jesus a covenant. It's a bit of an odd phrase to call someone a covenant, a legal guarantee if you like but that is what it is when we trust jesus we are guaranteed eternal life good behavior maybe avoiding the detentions in the first place that doesn't give us eternal life self-improvement courses don't give us eternal life just going to church isn't going to take us to eternal life we have to just accept jesus That is the offer, and that is God's justice. Now that, I have to say, is really good news. But the strange thing is, as you talk to folk, and I hope you do talk to folk about this, you will get, I suspect, two very common reactions. Um, And one is, well, that's great, but I still don't really trust God, so no thank you. And the other one is, well, it's all right for you, but personally I don't need God. And, you know, the people in Isaiah's time had exactly the same reaction. The people in Isaiah's time were following other religions because they said, we prefer that to your God. Thank you very much. Or they said, well, it's all right, fine, but we don't need God. We'll rely on our statesmen. We'll rely on our trade deals. We'll rely on our politicians. 
sort of secular society, right? We just don't need God. And I think that's why you look at verse 8. God says he will not share his glory with others or with carved images. God's saying, yeah, I know people are looking at other things, but actually I want you to come back to me. So if you're not sure about God, well, that mobile phone shop said, don't despair, we repair. And actually that's quite important because it tells us what sort of a God we're talking about. It's a God who only wants the best for us. And how can I know the character of God? How can I know that? Someone said to me the other day, no, none of us can really know God. We're basically a highly evolved gorilla. How, how can a gorilla ever imagine what God's like? Which was perhaps true. But we can see what God's like because we can see Jesus Christ. We can encounter him in the Bible, in our lives, and we can see what Jesus is like. And Isaiah here begins to describe him for us. So look at verse 3. He says, he won't break a bruised reed. He won't put out a smoldering wick, wick, verse 2. He won't shout or raise his voice. There's nothing threatening or, or, or scary there is there that's that's all sounds very good now i don't know what life is like for you but our house is not full of bruised reeds and smoldering wicks um they've probably uh, gone out of fashion a little bit but you know a bruised reed is basically just a broken barrow you'd have used it for writing if it's bruised you can't use it a smoldering wick is like a flat battery isn't it? it's not giving you much light and our house is full, you've probably got drawers like this at home, of drawers full of stuff like this, with batteries and broken pens in it and stuff like that. There's a few people shaking their heads in despair, which makes you a little bit worried. Uh, this is our drawer at home. And really, I need to get my wife to clear that drawer out <laughs> and throw away a lot of that rubbish. But that's us, and Jesus doesn't throw away the rubbish. What Jesus does is restore. He doesn't break the pain. He doesn't throw away the, the flat battery. He restores it. In fact, Matthew looks at Jesus in action in chapter 12 of, of his gospel. And he says he sees Jesus teaching and preaching and healing. And he says, that's Isaiah 42. That's, that's who Isaiah was talking about. I can see him in action, restoring. And that means that when we trust the Lord Jesus. He repairs. However bad or messed up our life is, he is going to improve it. However uncertain, however weak, however flickering our trust in him can be, he's going to take us and he's going to improve us. You know, I think if you talk to any Christian here in this church, any Christian you know, they would be able to testify and say, yeah, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is why my life has been restored and repaired because of what Jesus has done. This is Alison Felix. You athletes will probably know her. One of the most decorated female athletes. I think possibly the most uh, decorated athlete uh, in the Olympic Games and the World Championships. And she was facing career-threatening injuries. And this is what she says. 
She says, I know I'm able to look at that bigger picture and see that God has a plan for my life and that this is part of it. I can't imagine my life without Jesus. I can't imagine just waking up and going through life without him. He's my life. He's what I live for. You see, Jesus takes us, whatever state we're in, and he will always act for our good. And I think at the moment, some of us probably are flagging a bit, and we tend to think, well, that was when I became a Christian, and that was great. Yes, I know God turned me around when, 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 I, when I came to faith and all the rest of it. But, you know, Jesus doesn't just give us a vaccine jab and a, and a, and a passport and say, yes, off you go now in society. You, you, you've had your sort of your heavenly jab or whatever. Jesus continues, doesn't he, to restore and build us up. Look at verse 7, Isaiah, he talks about opening blind eyes, bringing people out of darkness. There's a mixture there of physical stuff and mental stuff and spiritual stuff going on. And Jesus continues to heal. He does heal physically. He heals mentally. And we will all know we've experienced that spiritual healing. You know, Jesus, he, um, in that famous episode, isn't it, in the Gospels, when he's talking to a lady and he says, I'm not just giving you a glass of water because you're thirsty. You're having streams of living water. It goes on and on. Jesus repairs and he restores. So, of course, we can trust him. We don't need to despair. We're turning to a God who repairs who builds us up, who restores. And now Phil's blowing his nose, and I don't know whether he's crying with emotion because it's such good news. But <laughs> There we go. But it is great news. So, and now just a final thought then about those folk who say, okay, that's fine for you, but I don't need God. This might look all wonderful, but actually I don't need him. Well, actually, this passage says everybody does need him. If you look at verse 4, it talks about the islands putting their hope in Jesus. Now, if you were stuck in Babylon in the 7th century, in the middle of nowhere, well, the islands was about the furthest place away you could imagine. I don't know whether that's the Maldives, but it's a long way away, isn't it? The furthest place on the earth, even there, they're hoping for this good news because they too need jesus paul says everyone has sinned and fallen short of god's glory but also in this passage i think just as we move to the end there's just a a little gentle reminder about us remembering our place you know i don't know who owns the uh, don't despair we repair shop but i'm pretty sure that if i never meet the owner it's not going to make a fundamental difference to my eternal destiny. It really won't matter if I never meet who owns that shop. I shall pop in tomorrow and find out who it is. But, you know, this is different. We're talking about God here. Look at the three times in verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 8. He's making a point. He's saying, I am the Lord who created everything. In fact, for the purists amongst you uh, it's the trinitarian god isn't it the father putting his spirit in the son verse one this is god speaking and he's acting in power through his son 
and his Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know whether you've followed what's going going on at the Large Hadron Collider this week. Uh, It's completely beyond me, a bit like line of duty, just as interesting but incomprehensible. and they're discovering new forces, aren't they? And there are new ways of understanding the standard models of particle physics and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, they're never going to find a greater power than the power of the creator God who made it all in the first place. And God's saying, he's saying, well, I want you to look at the universe because they point to me. And can you see how uh, in verse 5, God hones in. He says, well, look at the stars. I made the stars. And then he says, and and I made the earth. And he hones in a bit more, doesn't he? And says, I honed everything that walked on it. I don't know why I picked flamingos, but never mind. Everything that walked on the earth. And then he says, effectively, you and me. And God's making a point. He says, yeah, I'm in charge. I am the creator. I created everything and I created you and me and I want a response from you and me. It's not about everybody else. It's about you and me. This isn't an academic exercise. This is important. You look at verse 9, you get this very grand statement from God at the end saying, new things I declare. God's saying this is about you. I created you and you need to listen. This is important. I'm announcing it 700 years ahead, so you can't miss it. And then it's up to us how we respond, isn't it? We can choose to ignore him, but we can't escape him. We can't throw the detention register in the bushes. I can't treat it like the local mobile shop and just walk past. How we respond to this matters. We can trust God. And we need to trust him. So there we go. Don't despair. Whatever mess the world's in, however bad you feel, however doubtful you feel, don't despair, God says, we repair. We can enjoy God's love in our lives, now and forever. And we can trust him. He's a good God. He repairs and he restores. He has done and he, and he always will. And we need to trust him. We need to trust him because he is our creator. He is the only way that we can enjoy eternal life. So whatever our situation, whatever's going on in the world, God says, don't despair. We repair.